Welcome to the Make Meaning Podcast. I'm Lynn Galadner, a writer, entrepreneur, and changemaker, and I've dedicated my life to sharing stories of how people make meaning in their work and find purpose in their lives. This podcast highlights some of the great ideas and activities people do every day to make the world a better place. So much of the meaning we find comes from interacting with great people, developing relationships that are mutually beneficial, and doing work that inspires. I hope you'll be inspired by the people you meet on this podcast. We all need to find a way to make meaning in the mundane. Jason Cadlitz is a wonderful, everyday kind of man who is also exceptional and inspiring. He owns the Berkeley Chop Shop, an innovative and unique barbershop that provides period-style men's haircuts in Berkeley, Michigan. He is married and the father of four children. He's a mentor and a friend, kind to everyone he meets, and a true inspiration. Jason says his business success comes from creating a space that when a customer comes in, they are treated like a human being who feels special. Time allotted for an appointment is also time allotted for conversation and fellowship. Clients become friends. They're like family. I am so honored to have Jason on the Make Meaning podcast today. Jason, welcome. Hi, thank you very much for having me. Well, I'm thrilled to have you here. And I know you in a lot of settings, but I'm so excited to share your story because, like I said in my introduction, I'm just very inspired by you um, and your kindness to people and just the t- the talent that you've exhibited in building this business that's just really unique. So, Thank you very much. So kudos. So I want to start by asking you to share your story, um, to tell me a little bit about your journey toward entrepreneurship. Like, you know, where'd you grow up? What led you to this path? And how'd you end up owning the chop shop? Okay. Uh, it's a pretty easy story that I've told hundreds of times. So I used to be an engineer uh-huh. and I originally went to school to be an architect and end up becoming a mechanical engineer. And I did that from about 1992 to about 1998. Um, And so I used to be a draftsman. I used to sit at a board with my drafting tools, with a pencil, and I would draw all day. Okay. I really enjoyed that job. But my last couple of years in the business, they put me on AutoCAD. Mm -hmm. I hated it. Okay. I did not, I don't like computers. Okay. I I don't like writing emails. I just don't like doing any of that kind of stuff on the computer. So I really um, like hated my job overnight. Wow. So I had a a really cool barber that I was seeing since I was a teenager. And every time I'd come in and complain about my job, he convinced me to look into barber school. Uh And um, I finally just really thought about it. And he really convinced me that I'd be good at it. He even told me that you'd be surprised at how much drafting is in cutting hair. Really? Yeah, and it was a true statement. Like, huh, tell a, me about that. Well, when you, you know when you're cutting hair, you're trying to create different shapes, sure. different styles, and that all has to do with the way you cut the hair, the way you pull it away from the head. Okay. Right. So there's all these different angles. You cut the hair at this angle, you're going to get a different effect when it falls down. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, when I first started cutting hair, um, all my clients were my engineer friends. Okay. They, were, they were my guinea pigs. Okay. So I remember actually cutting hair and thinking about it and, and thinking, well, I wonder what would happen if I just cut it like this. <laughs> and I would do it and either it did what I thought it would or it didn't. Uh-huh. But really the the best way to get good at something is to fix your mistakes. So sure. I had to fix a lot of mistakes at first. <laughs> and your friends were forgiving. Very forgiving. Very forgiving. <laughs> okay. And, and at the time, so this was like 1990. 
eight, mm-hmm. okay? Before I even had my license, I was cutting hair. Sure. I thought I knew what I was doing. Uh-huh. And I was really into like 1950s. I love 50s furniture, 50s fashion, uh-huh. 50s haircuts. Yep. So I was all about mastering this pompadour. Okay. Which I had. Okay. And um, But nobody else really wore their hair like that. So at this point in my life, every haircut I did, everybody got a pompadour. <laughs> and I remember the guy... And, the guys I worked with, they'd always be like, Jay, I don't want a pompadour. <laughs> but everybody wanted this, um, like the friend's haircut, oh, kind yeah. of like a, a <laughs> yeah. messy haircut. It's like, that's not what I got into this sure. line of work for. I want to do precision cutting. Uh-huh. But luckily now, that has really taken off. Totally, yeah. Well, and you do a great job with both of my boys. So um, little plug there. We are customers for mm. sure. But um, but there's a variety of haircuts, you know. And I think, like I asked you once, because if, you know, one of my kids couldn't get get in to see you and they had to go to someone else, I wanted to know what are they asking for? And you have like names for the haircuts. Yeah. So we could tell another, you know, barber in your shop, oh, do this one or that one. So um, is it like styles you've come up with or are these like known? Well, both. So okay. th- there is your your pompadour, right? Uh-huh. Then there's, you know, a flat top. There's a Caesar cut. Okay. There's, you know, um, a side part. Okay. Which people call comb over nowadays, which <laughs> that's an old man haircut. Yeah. I don't know why people are calling it that. Uh-huh. Um, and then there's like names that I've made up in my shop. Okay. Um, like I got a haircut called... Because one of my customers has a 1957 Chris Craft boat. Okay. And he wears this like flat top with long sides. So I call that the Chris Craft. Uh-huh. Um, I've, well, there's other names like the Princeton, uh-huh. which actually is an old haircut. Okay. There's, was there one called the Lady Killer? That's what I, I do that on uh, Little Boys. Yeah. You know? I think that was the one you did for Shia a bunch of years ago. So, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I like to kind of embarrass the kids <laughs> a little bit. So when they yeah. get a haircut, I'll say, well, that's called the lady killer. Uh-huh. Or sometimes little kids don't want a haircut, right? Uh-huh. So I'll tell them that I'm going to give them a basketball haircut oh. or a football haircut, you okay. know, whatever they're kind of into. Sure. And that makes them think it's really just a little boy haircut. But, for sure. Yeah. That's so cute. So what was the inspiration to open the Chop Shop? So you made this career transition um, and you sort of were like honing your craft and really getting into the work. But then where did the idea come from to actually take that leap toward entrepreneurship? Well, actually, let me start with how I actually got into cutting hair. So um, my barber, Franco, he actually was a very inspirational, big part of my life. Okay. Um, So he kept telling me to go to barber school, right? So I finally checked into barber school and I went and got my haircut one day and I told Franco, I'm like, Franco, guess what? I'm in barber school. (laughs) And he says, when can you start? So at this time I was going to school part-time, still had my engineering job. And um, he let, well, I told Franco, I'm like, well, Franco, I just started school. He says, man, are you a frat boy? Are you a greaser? (laughs) So um, he let me cut hair there uh-huh. uh, without my license, which is illegal. Okay. <laughs> Full disclosure, right? <laughs> but I did that on Saturdays only. Okay. And I was only doing basically my friends sure. and the guys I worked with and stuff. Okay. So I was you know, trying to build up a bit of a clientele before I quit my engineering job. Okay. So I finally got my license and I worked for uh, a few different shops. And the last shop I worked at, the owner... Unfortunately, I had lung cancer, and he ended up passing away, and I ended up taking that shop over. 
Okay. And at that time, that was a a smoking shop. The guys could smoke <laughs> in there, um, and it was just uh, in a location I didn't really like. Okay. So everybody was like used to smoking in there and the golf channel was always playing. <laughs> so even though I took over that shop, it was yeah. never going to be my shop. Right. It was still Bill's shop. Sure. And when I made it no smoking, I lost a lot of customers. Okay. And I was just like, you know what? This isn't the area I want to be in. Okay. So it inspired me to go out and look for a place where I wanted to be. Okay. And so I looked in, you know, Birmingham, Royal Oak. Uh, Berkeley, Clawson, you know, kind of like the the Woodward stretch. Sure. And I noticed, and and what I really liked about Berkeley is I saw a lot of men pushing strollers oh. and having kids and people walking dogs, and it just seemed like very family friendly. Yeah. Just normal, regular people. Sure. And I just fell in love with Berkeley. Oh. I wasn't even living there at the time, mm-hmm. and I really wanted. A shop that was an extension of my personality. Okay. Because I'm, I'm a hard worker. I'm uh-huh. at work a lot. Yeah. I wanted to be at a place that I want, like a clubhouse. Sure. You know, a place to be there for 15 hours a day. Sure. So that's kind of how the shop, how I made the shop. It's a hot rod, barber shop. Um, you know, we play a lot of rockabilly music and outlaw country music and rock and roll. Uh-huh. And I, that's just what I wanted. And so you're giving, you sort of preempted me because I was going to say, hey, describe for our listeners what it's like at the Top Shop and you did a great job. But did you did you come up with the branding yourself? I'm sure with your artistic talent and that kind of thing or because it's, it's really a unique place and it's got its own imprint that's its own feel, you know? Yeah. Well, I, I, at the time I didn't even think about branding. Yeah. It was just, I was basically decorating like a clubhouse, like a 50s clubhouse where guys would go work on their motorcycles or work on their custom cars. Sure. That's what I wanted the shop to feel like. And um, it just kind of morphed into something. But I remember even when I was in the drafting field, my my logo. Yeah. I actually designed my logo. For the chop shop? For the chop shop. Wow. On, on my drafting board. Really? Yeah. Like Interesting. Probably 10 years before I oh even opened up my shop. That's really cool. That's very cool. Well, there's something else too. There's like the physical branding and the style and that kind of thing, but you've created this culture. Um, and I really think it's like a culture of kindness. So while it seems like it's this whole, um, you know, like, you know, motorcycle and and like kind of almost like a tough guy exterior, everybody in there is super nice. And so is that on purpose? Is that is that just what you sort of draw towards you or is that the tone you've set? Like how have you created that culture I mean, they're, they're, everybody is just a really nice person in there, well, you know? Thank, thank you for saying that. Yeah. And really, that's where I'm really blessed because I've never had to put a help wanted sign on the door. Uh-huh. I've never had to advertise. I was looking for people. Um, it's been very organic. Uh-huh. I started with three guys, three chairs. Uh-huh. I got six chairs now and there's 10 of us that work there. Wow. And everybody has come right when I needed somebody. Hmm. And... There is a um, a personality type. Sure. And I can't even describe it. It's just, you know, people who are nice to people. Yeah. And, you know, maybe that's common in this business in general. Hmm. But, you know, we're very kid-friendly, family-friendly, dog-friendly. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's nothing that I really 
tell people that they have to be like. So I just magnetically drew those personality types. Like by example, by sort of you're just being who you are and this is what you put out there and so it's coming back to you. I think that's true because, you know, when you go into a business that when they first open, you love it and then they may they might sell the business. Mm-hmm. And even like when I took over that one shop, it was mm-hmm. always going to be Bill's shop, you know. Sure. So some I guess if you took me out of the equation, maybe it wouldn't be the same, maybe mm-hmm. it would, I don't know. Yeah. But I think that's probably true. Yeah. Well, I like how you described it as like a clubhouse because I know you said in your pre-interview that, um, you know, it's it's a place where you wanted people to feel like they belong. And, you know, it's just everybody seems to feel very welcome. They come in, they're they're greeted with kindness. And it's just, and I mean, I know that you know us from Cub Scouts before and the whole world of Waldorf and whatever, but but you remember things about us. I'm sure you do about all your customers. And so that's just, that's a... That makes you feel special, like mm-hmm. you're seen, you're you're known, you yep. know. So, um, so congratulations, you've achieved it. It's well, really great, you, you know. You. So we've talked a lot about your business, but I want to talk a little bit about um, your family too, because you know, on this show, we talk about how people make meaning in their work, find purpose in their lives, and and all of that. And I know your family is really important to you. Um, so I just wanted to um, ask a little bit about, you know, I've admired your passion for parenting and for your marriage the whole time that I've known you. Tell me a little bit about, about where that comes from. Um, you know, how do you how do you get it right with your kids, with your wife? I'm sure you don't always, you know, but I'm sure if I were interviewing your wife, we'd hear a different story, right? But um, but you get it right. And so how where does that passion come from? Where does that dedication come from? Well, I've always wanted kids. Um, and I've always wanted a lot of kids. Uh-huh. I really would have been happy with six, eight kids. Uh-huh. That's kind of was what I always wanted to have. Uh-huh. Uh, my wife was nowhere near that many children. <laughs> Um, so four is the final number. Four is the final number. Okay. Yep. <laughs> I've just always been a family man. Uh-huh. I come from a good family, very loving parents, mm-hmm. um, loving brother and sister. Um, that, that's a kind of a tough question. Well, you know, it just it's interesting because um, lots of people are dedicated to family and um, lots of people want kids and, you know, that kind of thing. But um there's also people who get like really immersed. You know, I feel like I'm one of those people. I've I've been coaching soccer since I was four. Um, I'm kind of ready to be done, but he, hmm. you know, I told him he said one last one last season, and then he'll be in high school, and somebody else can coach him. But um, but it's it's a different level. I feel like um, you know, I I loved it when he was little. They just needed volunteer coaches, and so you know, I it gave me an excuse to have an hour just running on the field with a bunch of cute little kids, you know, and it was just really fun to be there. But it deepens your connection to your kids when you're present in that way. I think, and so I know that you led the Cub Scouts for a while. Um, and you've been involved in other ways with your kids. And so, I mean, maybe talk a little bit about, you know, your approach to parenting even, okay. like how you build those connective relationships. Well, um, so my wife is a Waldorf school teacher, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of natural, like, parenting and, you know, education, very organic mm-hmm. ways of bringing your kids up. You know, I wanted to teach my kids how to read. My wife was like, no, they they will learn that in a special way. It's presented <laughs> to them in Waldorf education. But really, it's about teaching your kid to be this human being where they know that they're special, they're unique, there's nobody else like them, mm-hmm. and that they can change the world. Mm-hmm. And it's you know it's sad how 
we still have racism in this country and um, so much like hate and mm-hmm. anger. Mm-hmm. And it's like you, unfortunately, you can get that from your parents and mm-hmm. stuff like that, you know? So yeah. it's important to teach your children that, you know, they can make a difference in this world mm-hmm. and encourage that mm-hmm. and encourage them to be who they're meant to be, which is a lot of that has to do with Waldorf education. Sure. Where you don't teach these children to be part of a herd mm-hmm. and everybody has to be at this level. Everybody has to be, you know, good at math. Everybody has to be, you know, good at reading. Mm-hmm. Where you nurture the things that they're good at mm-hmm. and the things that they're not good at. Well, that's probably not where they're not going to need that in life necessarily. Right. But there's no benefit in pointing out, you know, well, you're not good at this or you're great at that. It's I, I think one of the gifts of Waldorf education that I've seen has been um, this expectation of trying things and just you know, contributing to the work. And so, you know, it's fun for the younger kids in a Waldorf school when they're cleaning up the classroom. Like it's an adventure. I've seen this enthusiasm when they're taking the recycling out, you know, or um, my son has tried things that, you know, seem like they'd be really tough, like on a camping trip or um, just different projects where maybe you're not artistically inclined or you're not mathematically inclined or whatever it is, but you're expected to give it a try. And um, that's the best that you can do, but you you have to try it. So Waldorf graduates that I know don't feel like anything is beyond their ability. Like they can give it a go. And I think that's a huge gift yeah. in, you know, in life because you, you don't know where your path is going to take you. Right. You could start as an engineer and end up owning right. a barbershop, right? right? So right. Um, if you're not open to those possibilities, then you're going to be stuck in one path. You know? Yeah, yeah I, I saw this TED Talk and it was about – you'll never have your dream job. Hmm. And the theory behind that was growing up, you may say you want to be something, mm-hmm. right? Like you may say you want to be a garbage man, uh-huh. right? And you have your elders telling you, you don't want to be a garbage man. You're <laughs> not going to make much money doing that. Sure. Or you might want to be a clown, right? You know, you don't want to be a clown. You know, how many circuses are you going to find a, right. you know, find a job in? But really... You know, in life, growing up, you can do whatever you want to do. Mm-hmm. And if you're good at it, then you'll find a way to make money at it. Sure. So, that you know, you just got to constantly encourage your kids to, like you said, try things. Mm-hmm. You know, do sports that they might not think that they're going to be good at. Or, you know, everybody thinks they can't draw or they can't paint. Sure. Well, try it out. You right. Know, you never know. Right. It's interesting because... When I see the drawings that Waldorf students do, I'm always blown away. And they're not all perfect, but the the effort is there. You know, Shia will say, you know, oh, I'm a terrible artist. But then I look at this beautiful drawing and I'm thinking, right. you don't want to see what I would do, mm-hmm. you know. But um, but it's interesting because this, you know, we're talking about your work and we're talking about your family. And it's something that, you know, I own my own business and I'm really dedicated to my family. And I sometimes go back and forth in this question of meaning and purpose, which is, you know, which one needs to be the priority. And I, I, I mean, hands down, my family and the human relationships are the priority. But um, so much of our lives are filled with our work. And so when I have this conversation about meaning and purpose, you know, I, I try to figure out like how does it, what goes in what place, like how much of your attention should go to one or the other. Um, unfortunately, I recently lost my father and he was an entrepreneur, but he was really a family man. And I thought about this um, after his passing that um, he always was a really hard worker and he really loved what he did and he, he was dedicated to it. But at the end of the day, 
it was in a compartment and he was with my mom or he was with us or the grandchildren or whatever. And, and that was the complete focus. It was, it didn't linger. It didn't, you know, distract him. Um, but when he was there, it, it was all focus on work, you know? So I think this meaning and purpose question can be a challenging one when you are juggling a business that's going to be on your mind 24 seven, cause it's on your shoulders, but your family is, is where your heart is, you know? So I think that's a tough, tough dichotomy there. It is. And I kind of have this unwritten agreement with my wife where, you know, I, I work long days uh-huh. and I work long days so I can have more days off. Sure. So instead of working, you know, six, eight hour days, I'll work four 15 hour days. Wow. So, but that gives me those, those time yeah. with my family. Sure. So the days that I'm working, uh-huh. you know, that she can't expect me to you know, the, nobody sees me. Right. I'm, I'm gone when they're sleeping and I'm gone when they're, you know, at the end of the day. Yeah. So, yeah. but the days that I have off, I'm with them and we do yeah. all the family stuff. So that's, that's awesome. how, that's how I juggle it. Yeah. So um, I usually ask our guests what advice they have for our listeners who are searching for their purpose or questioning, you know, what is the meaning of what I'm doing? Do you have advice that you might offer people listening to the podcast? You know, how can they stumble upon, you know, the path they're supposed to be following or um, when they're wondering about that, where where do they start? Well, I think you have to really look in yourself, you know, what makes you happy? What do you feel like you're good at? And even if you think you're not going to make any money at it, I mean, that's not really what it's always about. I have friends that make good money and they hate their jobs mm-hmm. and they're, they're miserable, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So I, I think happiness is important. So go with happiness. Mm-hmm. And what you love to do. And what you love to do. I mean, we have kids of similar ages and my older kids who are thinking about college or on the verge of it, um, some of them will say, you know, well, I, I really am interested in this, but you don't make that much money in that field. And I've said, you just don't know. If you go where your heart is, the sky's the limit. You know, I started in journalism, which is like low paying. And I do really well. I mean, I'm not in journalism anymore, but I didn't know it would evolve in the way it did. I went where I could write because that was my passion. And so um, I feel like that's so important, especially to teach teenagers that, you know, follow your talent, follow your interest, and it's going to work out, you know? Well, you know, my even my own dad, when I told him I was going to quit my engineering job to do hair, yeah. he thought I was nuts. Right, right. And then when I wanted to open my own business, he thought I was nuts. And, you know, my dad, he really helped me build my shop. It was really me, him, and a handful of buddies that built my shop from the ground up. Wow. I had no financial help at all. Uh-huh. It actually took me 11 months to open because, you know, I wasn't making very much money at the time. And every dollar I made went into my shop. Uh-huh. And I remember my dad just thinking it was a bad idea. Uh-huh. But being that it took 11 months to open, we had these normal dog walkers and peep uh-huh. joggers, people walking by, and they were sure. always... Next month, next month. And then finally my dad was like, you know, I think you might have something here. So Aww. even before we opened up, just the the bit of buzz that was happening yeah. around town, watching yeah. us progress to getting the doors opened, you know, it was nice to hear that, you know, my dad was happy that it was going to be successful. That's awesome. Well, it's very successful. I <laughs> love what you have built. Um, any visions for... More shops? More? Uh, always. Yeah? yeah. 
I've been wanting to do that for years. Yep. And, uh, you know, my dad passed away four years ago today, mm. actually. Oh, I'm sorry. And um, I hear my dad's voice telling me to, uh, you know. Take the leap. Blank or get off the pot <laughs> is what my dad would say. Well, I'm sure wherever you take it, the Chop Shop will be successful. So, Jason Cadlitz, thank you so much for being on the Make Meaning Podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I love your family. Oh, well, feelings mutual. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Make Meaning Podcast with Lynn Galadner. You can find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. I'd love it if you would share our great conversations with your people so we can all add meaning wherever we go and whatever we do.